talk, you can count on me. And if you need to laugh, you can count on me. And if you want to chill, you can count on me. But if you need me on time, Filipino time update. Hello, fam. Hope all is well. Hope you are resting and wherever you are, you're feeling cozy. It's uh, winter 2022. I just wanted to give you a quick Filipino time update of what's going on around here. Uh, Filipino time is still going. We're just in a little bit of a state of hibernation, you know, resting up, getting well. Everyone is doing good. And um, but, uh, I, want, there's, I guess some news. Uh, over the last half of 2021... Uh, Carlo and I and JR, we've all been watching a ton of movies and texting back and forth. And as part of that, we kind of realized it might be fun to start a new project. And so Carlo and I have started a movie podcast. And as part of that, we are going to put an episode here on the Filipino Time feed as like a little teaser. The podcast is called Movie Food. You can find it if you just type movie food podcast or movie food into your whatever app you're using to listen to this and you'll find it and just subscribe and you'll get not only this episode, but a bonus episode is already up. Carlos 2021 movie review where he re- recounts and gives his rant uh, on every single movie <laughs> that he watched in 2021. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the reason why we're doing this is one is just, it can, it's just a fun project. It's fun just to talk movies and not talk about anything else. As you know, there's a lot to talk about these days. And so it's fun just to kind of keep it fun, keep it in the, in the family zone as well. And, um, we're going to be doing both reviews of new movies. We're going to look back on our old favorite movies. So yeah, give it a listen, give it a try. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, as you know, we did a, a bonus episode on Filipino time feed in 2021 on Godzilla versus Kong. And oddly enough, that's like one of our top listened to episodes. It has over 500 downloads. It's like our third most downloaded episode all time. So it seems like you guys like listening to movies or listening to us talk about movies. So with that, I give you a sneak peek at our new podcast, Movie Food with Carlo and myself. Uh, how do we start? <laughs> do we have like an opening? Uh, we. This is kind of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome. Welcome <laughs> back. Uh, if this is your second episode, if this is your first, then welcome. Uh, this is movie food. We now actually have a title. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, movie food, the podcast. And if you know the reference, I'll give you a hint. It's uh, it's related to MF Doom. So if you're an MF Doom fan, mm-hmm. you should know about movie food yes but anyway um here we are and um we're getting into the flow of things so uh we're gonna start off with um, a section that we're calling quick cuts quick cuts which is basically just um you know random thoughts something that's not really enough to discuss for a full episode um uh, the focus of our episode today is actually going to be on our favorite movies and we both picked the favorite movies from each other and we're going to discuss those and so stay tuned for that Mm. so uh for our quick cuts like what do you have steve 
Is there anything that's been on your mind? Anything you've seen lately that you want to just like bring up? And Well, I guess I mentioned it on the last app. I finished uh, Wife of a Spy. Cool. So how was it? I think the last episode I mentioned, I, I still had about 20 minutes left. It was a pretty critical last 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, okay. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. So this is Kurosawa's latest. Um, it ends pretty epically. Oh, um, wow. And it's uh, for a movie that's very nicely paced and even, and it kind of just gives you a little bit of inf- information here and there of what's happening in the plot with this, you know, the wife of the spy realizes her husband's a spy she starts to get involved with it, helping. Eventually, they're trying to get to America. Mm-hmm. And then the last 20 minutes, all it, it all goes to shit. And oh, it's, wow. Um, and it's, uh, so I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but yeah, it, I loved it at an mm-hmm. hour and a half, and I love it at an hour 50. It's, it's okay, awesome. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. that's my quick cut. <laughs> okay. That's perfect. Actually, that's a great alley for me because, um, uh, you know, when I, I mentioned Reisuke Hamaguchi, uh, the Japanese filmmaker, when you were talking mm. about Japan and hearing the Japanese language, he actually co-wrote Wife of the Spy. <laughs> Wife of a no Spy. No way. Yeah, yeah. He was, he's the co-screenwriter Man, of it. Like it. A, so, so it was like a super team. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hamaguchi often gets compared to um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa and um, Hirokazu Koreeda, mm. who, um, who kind of like you know, became really popular uh, with people with the shoplifters a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they all are kind of cut from the same cloth. But uh, Hamaguchi's like slightly younger. He's from a different generation. He's actually closer to to our age. He's in his early forties. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I watched actually Hamaguchi's uh, other movie from last year. You know, I was talking about how disappointed I was with um, Drive My Car. Mm. I watched um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, and I loved it. Like I thought that was great, <laughs> and that actually rounds up my uh, my top five. I now oh, have five favorite movies from from twenty twenty one. Last year, yeah, yeah, it was like that was the movie that I needed to just like cap things off. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, I mean, I we could discuss it when when you've seen it if you want, but um, yeah, that's sure. just my my quick cut for that. I do think we need to uh, put your top five on our Twitter. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and, so I guess, yeah, just quick business. We, we, we have a Twitter feed, at MovieFoodPod. Easy peasy. Yes. You'll find it. <laughs> yes, at MovieFoodPod. Just for, don't re- forget the pod at the end because uh, there is another movie food. That's why we couldn't do movie food. Yeah, it's so kind of popular. Asked, yeah, yeah, but but I don't think that I don't think that person's tweeted or something, right? Yeah, I guess this could be a quick cut too. Like, I really wish um, Twitter was more like Tumblr, where if you're inactive on Tumblr, like they let go of your handle. You know, it's, and it's like yeah, it's open to public domain again, and I think that's what should happen to Twitter too, because also like my personal Twitter handle, I don't mind sharing it, but. Uh, I have to add a Y to it at the end. It's astrofishy because somebody else is astrofish and they're like inactive as well. Ugh, so, the worst. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but yeah, uh, I guess a couple more quick cuts of like just some movies that I saw recently that I liked. Um, uh, one was Cleaners, which was this uh, Filipino movie um, directed by Glenn Barrett. Mm. or Barit. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but it's a really inventive um, 
Filipino movie, and I'm I'm always rooting for Filipino yeah. movies to be good and original. And I got my wish with this movie. Um, What's it about? Like, yeah, uh, it's basically about uh, coming of age in school. Like it, it 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 takes place over a course of a school year. So if you if you grew up in the Philippines and went to school in the Philippines, you definitely know these kind of signposts of the year, like um, Lingo na Wika, which is like you know um, uh, the how would I translate it? The week of language, I guess. So it's like mm. promoting, you know, your local language. And then there's all these like uh, folk dance and performances that people do. So it focuses on all these different students who go to the same school. But, uh, you know, that's pretty typical and humdrum about it. But what makes this movie really unique is that um, they tried to do it in a Xerox photocopy style. <laughs> stop motion style Whoa. which is basically they um i guess they shot it originally on video and then they printed out eight frames out of every like um second i guess to give it that that xerox yeah. look and then they hand uh, colored uh certain frames so basically e- each of the main characters has like a, a color uh-huh. and so they they stand out from all the others because the movie's in black and white but the main character oh. of each story stands out because they're they're colored by highlighter Wow, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. super creative. Yeah, yeah, it's really like, inventive. Does um, it kind of look like Waking Life, or it, is it um, kind of its own thing? It's its own thing. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I've probably seen this effect done in music videos, but never on screen. Like wow. it, it, it really was amazing to just see it like yeah. that. And I, the only reason why I knew about it was also because um, uh, like Letterbox does like their uh the year so far like the halfway point um review and that was like one of the highest rated movies on letterbox halfway through the year and then it's just surprising at the end of the year nobody remembers it like it's it's been forgotten so like i guess it's good to just kind of bring it up again i mean you know it's not a masterpiece you know i i still think it's kind of a little sentimental and saccharine at times it doesn't quite work but uh but yeah just for the visual experience okay. it's great well um, i think this is a prime movie where maybe if i can get around to watching it then mm-hmm. we can and, and if i enjoy it maybe we can do a full ep sure it down. yeah yeah Cause yeah because it, it sounds really interesting and unique and I'd, lo- I'd love to give them a little love you know sure yeah no problem yeah yeah um yeah we can figure it out um cool. so i also saw this animated film called bell which is in theaters. I think this is my first um, new release of the year that I saw. Mm. Uh, the first movie I saw to start the year was um, uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, but that's still technically from last year. So Bell is the first 2022 feature that I saw in the theater. And um, yeah, it was great. Uh, I don't really want to spoil it because uh, it, it's based on a familiar story, but it's like updated for Gen Z. I guess I mean, it's called Bell. So it sounds yeah. like be- is it Beauty and the Beast? Yeah, or is it- yeah, yeah, that's what it okay. is. It's basically a Beauty and the Beast update. For, okay, cool for Gen Z. But you know, it takes place all in the metaverse. It's beautiful. Like yeah, that that entire world that they created uh, is the are the best parts in the movie. Is it you family know? friendly or is it kind of dark? Um, yeah, it's a little dark. Uh, I would say it's really more for uh, older kids, like closer to preteens, maybe. You know, okay. uh, there's nothing really like objectionable in it, but like it, it's I mean, those are the ages of the kids in uh, they seem like they're they're preteens, early teens, you know, okay. 
Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess another thing just in my um, quick cuts uh, I want to add is a, just a little mini rant here. Uh, okay. Which is what I've been experiencing early on in my movie going experience. Uh, is just uh, I've been mainly going, uh, you know, considering what's going on right now, uh, you know, with COVID cases going up that uh, most of the theaters I've been going to have been empty. You know, screenings have been empty. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, somehow, I this is something I just don't get. Like, why would you reserve a seat next to somebody when the entire row is empty? <laughs> Wait, like, are, you having the, are you having the experience of someone is like sitting next to you in an empty theater? Um, yeah. Or like uh, the row is mostly empty and I'm like, what's oh. going on? It's like that meme of that guy with the, the row of urinals and he's peeing and then the, <laughs> you know, the guy like pees right next to him. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And like, you know, because most of these, these screenings are reserved seating. Yeah. And I'm usually the first person to reserve a seat. Like when I book my seat, there's nobody around me. Yeah. Where do you usually choose in the theater? I like to sit in the back I and in the middle. That's my yeah. my favorite spot. I like to like see the entire frame and I don't like to be craning my head and, up. And somebody else is choosing to sit next to you? Yes. And it, it's happened to me more than once. And the, the oh. one time... Um, <laughs> Yeah, the first time it happened this year, I saw uh, Red Rocket, which I guess I can add as a quick cut to, but it's just such a, it's an unremarkable movie. It's it's solid, you know, I yeah. don't really think it's it's that good. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I saw that, that was an empty theater because it was like a three, three o'clock in the yeah. afternoon screening. So like nobody's going to go there. And this guy, like he, you know, I, I, I'm already like my peripheral vision, you know, when the trailers are, are happening like i'm already eyeing when people are going up the stairs you know and they're getting closer and closer to my row and i'm just hoping oh. like they're not sitting in the same row and then he yeah he ends up going to my row and then yeah he plops himself down right next to me and i'm like looking at both sides of the the row and i'm like dude really yeah <laughs> yeah and i look at him and then he moves over one seat right and then i was like <laughs> god and, yeah, it's just it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, yeah, but that that's been happening. Like it, a lot of the screenings, uh, actually, the um, I guess moving on to our next quick cut uh, with Scream. Yes. Uh, yeah, I had booked that also when nobody had booked it. There was actually a couple sitting next to me to my um, to my right. And the girl, when she found out that I had showed up for my seat, like uh-huh. she moved over to the other seat, like all opposite her boyfriend. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, <laughs> you couldn't have just saved that one seat. Like you couldn't have booked the seat like one over. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> it, it's not like, um, you know, they were waiting and the, the, somebody had booked it who didn't show up. Like, you know, they, they moved uh, before the movie even started. So and and was that theater a little more full or oh yeah yeah scream was was packed so oh, okay. that was understandable but at the same time it was just like there was still a seat there ended up being a seat between that's us that's pretty cool that you got to see scream packed yeah i remember in 96 seeing the first one in a packed audience and wow. that was really really fun i remember yeah and and that was the thing i normally i don't like crowds in the theater <laughs> i'm just not that kind of guy i like the movie yeah theater experience but um 
I thought, wow, this is great. Like going into the movie, I was thinking, man, this is going to be so good. Like that it's a full house. You know, yeah. this was like eight o'clock. So a little later in the evening. Yeah, that's good. But the crowd just wasn't into it. That's <laughs> they were yeah. like dead silent throughout the entire movie. How was it like in 96? Like in 96, uh, people were scared. People were what? jumping up <laughs> and there there was all, I don't know, just seeing it. You know, it's it's a movie. You know, it's 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 it kicked off the meta period. It's sure. very self-referential, but it really worked. I remember in the theater when Randy is talking to the TV because because they're watching Halloween. Yeah, and he's telling <laughs> Jamie to turn around, and yeah. he's saying turn around like and, and the killer's behind him. Right. I remember the crowd loved that part. Like the crowd was like yelling and <laughs> screaming and. It just really was fun. I remember mm-hmm. I remember not being too scared of Scream, but yeah. the experience was always so fun. Um yeah. that it like it kind of won me over like that. And then right. I remember seeing Scream 2 and it starts off in a movie theater and the crowd is going nuts at the beginning of Scream 2. I, I don't know if you remember it. Like mm-hmm. what the setting is like they're they're going to the premiere, premiere. Of, of Stab. Yeah, the movie the that's first, based on Scream. On, on Scream. <laughs> on the and, events but, of Scream. Yeah. But the audience is like a legendary audience, which is funny because it's like, I don't... So it's the premiere of Stab. They ha- they haven't seen Stab, but they're so excited that mm-hmm. they're like all in ghost face masks. They're running around. Right. They're like pretending to murder each other. Yeah. Like they're having so much fun. And it just makes it made the Scream 2 experience fun, even though like obviously the actual audience wasn't like that. <laughs> so that is kind of a bummer that for Scream 5, you re- you had a packed audience. Mm-hmm. But it seemed yeah, like... no laughs, nothing. Yeah. Like I was laughing at, at certain bits and people were just dead silent. I was like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So what what'd you think of it? Because I because I too have seen it. Yeah. I I thought it was enjoyable. Um. Mm-hmm. You know. It, it it definitely is as you, we were saying the theater experience. I feel like it, you need yeah. that crowd, but they have to be into it. You know. If they're not, like, I'm not even sure if the people I saw it with. Because this is the interesting thing that it brings up is is who is this movie for? Right. Mm. Like who um. Is it for the the longtime fans, you know, um, who have been following it since, you know, 96, which is now, yeah, an entire generation, basically. Yeah. Or is it for, you know, the new generation and for them to get into it and be like, okay, these were the legacy characters and this is going to be, you know, the next generation for you guys. Um, so I guess it, it kind of falls in between two stools. Um with that because you know you have people who probably have never seen the previous movies so they don't get most of the jokes um yeah they have no kind of emotional attachment to the survivors and you've you've basically spoiled it too because like i mean that was part of the thrill of watching each progressive scream was like seeing who was gonna make it because you know it would dwindles down the 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 group of characters that you have you know Mm -hmm. And you don't even, I guess, get the connection between, um, uh, like, these, this new generation, what their relation is to the the previous uh, characters if you haven't seen the previous movies. So yeah, yeah, I agree, and I'm fine spoiling this one. I think if, yeah, if, yeah. If, if, if anyone hasn't seen Scream, fast forward like a couple <laughs> of minutes because we're gonna spoil <laughs> right, yeah, it right, sure. right, right, yeah, right yeah. now. But mm-hmm. um, 
for someone who who did see the original Scream when I was a teenager, so it's like mm-hmm. that was like that was like our generation or my generation's Halloween. You know, like right. the previous generation loved Halloween through Nightmare, mm-hmm. but I, I was too young, you know, like to kind of yeah, get same. down with those. Like I only mm-hmm. saw those franchises when they were already at like episode at least you know movie six through eight you know where yeah. things get really bad <laughs> yeah right so scream was like perfect i think i was 15 mm-hmm. when, when it came out and i really loved mm-hmm. the first two um and so this one because it references the first one so much and you know mm-hmm. the fact that they end up at Stu mocker's house like yeah i think for someone who's younger who maybe hasn't seen those that wouldn't mean that much but for mm-hmm. me, I was like, oh, my God, they're back at Stu's house. <laughs> like, that right. really hit me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I got really excited. And I, I liked that they were in the kitchen and tormenting Sydney in the kitchen yeah. again. Yeah, and even I, the beats were very similar, you know, like, um, yeah. and even just how, the you know, I guess we're spoiling. So there's two killers yeah. again, you know, um, that was a surprise in the first one. And then that they, you know, one is more psychotic than the other, you know. Yeah. But of course, they've they've done a gender swap and all these mm-hmm. things. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the biggest weakness I think of of the Scream movies is the fact that it that they're whodunits and mm-hmm. the fact that um you you you're gonna end up with different killers each time. Right. You have to come up with different motives each time. And yeah. really, none of the motives are that satisfying. Yeah, you know, it's like like the the thrill is okay is, is trying to figure out as the viewer, okay, who's doing it, mm-hmm. and so once it's revealed, it feels good. But then they they have to kind of explain why. Yeah, and and it's always like lukewarm because mm-hmm. ultimately there's not a real good reason to go on a murder spree. No. You know, like like and so, you know. Jack Quaid's character and the girl who plays Amber, um, mm-hmm. the actress who plays Amber is pretty frightening. She she like she was very mean, yeah. v- very scary. But ultimately, none of the motives actually make any sense. Or you know, yeah, I I don't know if you saw um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You saw it? Yeah, yeah. So um, she was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Mikey Madison. Yes, <laughs> it's funny because she she meets a similar fate. She gets burned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's also like a psycho killer, potential yeah. psycho killer in, in totally. Once Upon a Time. And I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised too if they cast her based on that role because you know, obviously the the time sufficient time has passed uh, since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's just um, there's always that that let down. Or like you know, all the air out of the room comes out once there's the reveal of right. the killer. It's it's more about I think the enjoyment of that build up towards it. But once it's revealed, it's kind of like uh, okay, right. it kind of goes downhill from there. Um, and I guess that also uh, t- uh, taps into my issue with the movie uh, and why I, I don't think it's it's a masterpiece or anything. Sure. You know, it was just pure fluff, enjoyable, but I, I never, I have no interest in seeing it again. It's just that, um, you know, even though it's self-aware and it's bringing up, you know, it, it's basically everything coming to a head from the matrix revolutions, you know, with the, <laughs> that discussion of requels requels. Yeah. yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, okay, you're aware that you're doing this, but you're not doing anything to change expectations. 
Like I was just thinking how radical the movie could have been if, yeah, one, there was no motive. Like you don't understand what the motive was. You know, it was just like yeah. it's it's left unexplained. And then two, um, I mean, you know, they they murdered a legacy character, you know, but it's it's like Star Wars, you know, with um, Force Awakens, you know, they kill Han. So, um, um, wow, totally, it's yeah, totally yeah, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you, um a new lead as well that's very similar to the previous lead you know there's a lot of mm-hmm. um but um yeah if they had basically um they, they had killed the main girl what was her name sam yeah sam if sam was like murdered like midway through the movie then yeah. i would be like oh okay like all bets are off now you know yeah. it's like you don't have the final girl you know um and you're now like trying to do something different with it um because yeah also the other thing is that uh even though kevin williamson who who wrote the original scream he kind of dropped off after the second one i think the third one somebody else took over the screenwriting duties the first four were were made by wes craven Mm -hmm. and you know wes craven had nothing else to prove basically at that point because you know he had made the nightmare on elm street movies um you know people under the stairs um uh, the Hills Have Eyes, like really terrifying movies. So uh, for him to kind of have this, uh, you know, late career or mid career surge with with the screen movies was amazing, you know, to just mm-hmm. kind of yeah. him, to make himself over that way. Um, but yeah, at the same time, like, yeah, that's what, just what I felt with every succeeding movie it was diminishing returns. And to the point that yeah, I've forgotten the third and the fourth movies. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I don't. Right. It's already the fourth one, which you say you liked. You liked the fourth one. Well, yeah. So the third, the third one was probably the weakest because it's like it's the furthest from the first. Like they're it's like mm-hmm. all adults and they're on a movie set, mm-hmm. and right. so it's just like what makes it good is like being in Woodsboro mm-hmm. with a yes. group of teens. And it's kind of it's and it's like scarier. Mm-hmm. And so with yeah. with four, they went back to Woodsboro with a group of teens. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was is also a lot gorier. Four was probably the goriest. Really like next ne- next to one because mm-hmm. like two and three were. Well, t- three was really bloodless because I mm-hmm. think it was after Columbine. Two oh, had right. a couple. Two had a couple good, uh, you know, gory scenes, but one, yeah. you know, has. Uh, you know, um, Drew Barrymore and her boyfriend's death at the beginning, and then right when Rose McGowan gets caught in the yeah. garage, <laughs> and I mean the finale you know, with 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 Billy and and Stu, yeah, is also pretty bloody. You know, yeah, when they're exactly. cutting each other. <laughs> yeah. So four had four had a lot of it was kind of the return to gore a little mm-hmm. bit, but but yeah, I also get that it's like it it's not as memorable, mm-hmm. and. I think my biggest issue with this one, and JR sent me a text. Mm-hmm. He said, "So many stabs, but not enough deaths." Right. And that's kind. Of, that's kind of how it felt. Was, yeah, yeah. Was this ghost face was like stabbing everybody, like mm-hmm. and stabbing fast, almost like yeah. like prison stabs, like. But right, the actual body count was pretty low. There was actually a lot of survivors in this one, and then I guess the one. The one twist that they added in this one from the previous is that, you know, all the screams start off with an opening scene that leads to mm-hmm. a, a death of some of a known person. 
And this one, it looked like um, the you know the actress was going to die, but she survives. Right. So I, so so like that's like the one twist that they added. Mm-hmm. The whole time I was thinking, you know, w- will there be a third killer or like right? You know, like will there? You know, like how will they make this one different? And then so I think you're right. The fact that there ended up only really being two. It was it. It kind of ends very similar to the first, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah, and I, w- I was waiting for like that turn, even like you know, as it was you know wrapping up, like they were all like being dispatched on their ambulances, like you know that there was yeah. the killer still alive, or there's another killer, you know, right? Like that that final reveal, but it it, it just didn't happen. Um, oh, another thing, I just looked it up too. The reason why four is better than three is because uh kevin williamson came back and he mm. wrote four four so yeah um i three if i remember was written by aaron Kruger, which was just funny to me because you know it's like <laughs> yeah they hired a screenwriter with the Kruger last name yeah <laughs> right for wes craven uh but yeah i mean he he just did like a workman like uh script and yeah it just uh it just wasn't very good no. And I guess I got, I have another like hot take when when it comes to Scream, you know, because Scream was supposed to be a horror comedy, like people, yeah, you know, find it funny. I actually find scary movie to be funnier than, than Scream. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's for sure. Yeah, but also I love more uh, like the Wayne's Brothers movies. Like all of them just make me laugh. So you know, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen any of the scary movie sequels. Though. I've only seen the first one. Yeah, you know, like. The way I've heard it is like, um, so if like whatever the first slasher is, whether it's Psycho or something before, mm-hmm. is that Halloween? Okay, and I might get this wrong. Halloween is like an homage to Psycho. Mm-hmm. Scream is like a satire of Halloween, right? And then like par- and then Scary Movie is a parody. Yeah, of yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's so the- it, it's like <laughs> different definitions of how right. they kind of all flow. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, scary movie would not exist if it wasn't for Scream. Whereas I feel like those previous ones, like they still have their own place. You know, scary movie only exists in a world right. where Scream exists. Right. Yeah. And then the, the irony is the original Scream's original name was Scary Movie. Right. Like that was right. the name that Williamson <laughs> yeah, had on, that. On, on the original script. <laughs> um, yeah. So while you were watching it. Could you guess who the killers were? Um, yeah, I, I had a hunch. Um, even when the I had just seen the trailers, I was just like, yeah, Jack Quaid's a killer. Like yeah. he was the most recognizable face <laughs> yeah, of, totally. of, of all the new new people. And I was like, yeah, he's got to be the killer. Like he, he's perfect to play like a psychopath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he was perfect. And he was also mm-hmm. perfect as the red herring as like kind of the guy you know, they put him in a lot of scenes with Ghostface acting mm-hmm. scared and just getting his arm cut. Right. Yeah. So it's like there, there was like enough plausible deniability there. But yeah, he was definitely my first guess. Mm-hmm. And then, and the Amber character too was like, I think one of the most clever things they did with Amber was that they put her in the first kill mm-hmm. by like Tara, who's the girl who gets the Ghostface call. She's getting texted from Amber. Right. And, and then Ghostface sends her a video of Amber mm-hmm. kind of saying, hey, if you don't answer these questions, I'm going to kill Amber. So it's kind of a clever way of like, in the viewer's minds, kind of a, trying to eliminate Amber, but it, it, it was her the whole time. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a diversion. But it, it yeah. that does make you wonder, like, was 
Jack Quaid's character shooting that video, you know, like he was in Woodsboro right. from Modesto. Like right. we don't actually know where Woodsboro is, right? It's like just some fictional NorCal town. Yeah, it's like yeah. in like I I imagine it's like in Marin County somewhere. Like, yeah, yeah, somewhere there. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess yeah, Jack Quaid could have been both there and then in mm-hmm. Modesto. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> it was just gone for like an afternoon, an evening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, and then the other thing, it was a very. F- physical and strong ghost face like i noticed mm-hmm. like ghost face could really stab through mm-hmm. things and can like when someone would catch ghost face arm ghost mm-hmm. face could push through it and really hurt people yeah. and so it was kind of you know the actress who plays amber mm-hmm. you know isn't that isn't that you know uh intimidating so it was yeah. a little like so what you know was this actress like that strong and like murdering everybody. It's just one of those parts of the yeah, screen movies yeah. that never quite like adds up. Yeah, and I was also thinking just in terms of um that that um confrontation with David Arquette in the with Dewey oh, yeah. in the hospital. It's like because it's obviously her because you know Jack Quaid is like escaping in the, the elevator. Other, yeah. yeah, in the elevator, but she I mean, takes you know, three bullets. Well, yeah, she's wearing a vest, but at the same time, it's like uh, she's not she she's made to look really tall and intimidating, right. which she isn't in when you see her without the the mask. So it's like what she was wearing stilts as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just didn't make yeah. any sense. Like, I think yeah, that's the part of the screams that you just kind of have to like shrug your shoulders and enjoy it. Is right, the fact that everyone who plays Ghostface. They can disappear in an instance. Yeah. <laughs> they are very strong and tall until mm-hmm. they're revealed. Right. Um, and also, yeah, and um, they can take a bullet. They can take all, like, mm-hmm. like, really take a beating. Like, the other part, you know, at the end, the survivors, you have Gail, Sydney, and Sam. Mm-hmm. They, like, Gail got shot in the stomach, and <laughs> Sam and Sydney both got stabbed, stabbed in the gut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like totally fine at the end. <laughs> yeah, she just needed the like a bandage. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> She's good to go. Yeah, and oh not God. even stitches <laughs> to close up totally. the wound. Oh, oh man, yeah, and just yeah, like they they managed to summon the strength um, in that's the right. final fight. Like, yeah, I almost I was like, did Sydney get stabbed? Because she's like fighting <laughs> pretty well here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like totally. Oh, um, and then the the, the other j- just. You know, the wrap up this. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a quick hit. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned James A. Janice's YouTube channel, Dead Meat, on the last mm-hmm. app. In Scream, there's a app. There's a scene where Jack Quaid's character is watching a YouTube clip of Stab Eight, and it's like a parody of his account. Oh, so, wow. so, so, so I was okay. like, oh, sweet. <laughs> so that was like meta for movie food it was like i was watching a, a, a yeah. watching, a, watching a movie with the youtube <laughs> clip that movie food had talked about amazing <laughs> what a weird coincidence yeah, we did it yeah so all right <laughs> i think i think i think overall i liked scream more than you but i, yeah. I but I, I also agree with your analysis yeah mm-hmm. yeah right. for sure yeah you know i mean it if people are brave enough to go to the theater to watch it mm-hmm. <laughs> for more than one reason, uh, yeah, go see it. You know, I mean, there's nothing else playing right now. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about it too because, um, yeah, January tends to be that month where they just dump movies, <laughs> and yeah, most of them are pretty bad. I barely go 
to the movie theater in January. You know what? Uh, yep. Yeah, this was a good January movie. It, it seems like good. that's what they're doing now. Studios seem to be releasing a lot of horror movies in January. Oh, um, interesting. So, I, yeah, the, it was the trend last year. Or not last year, the year before that. Yeah, because last year, movie theaters were still closed. Right. They didn't actually reopen until March last year. And I have to like rack my brain too. Like, you know, what was the first movie I watched when movie theaters reopened? And then I remembered it was Nobody. That's right. Yeah. Which nobody talks about anymore, ironically enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh yeah. So all these movies, like, do you have an Excel spreadsheet? Like, what's your system? Um, I just use Letterbox. Letterbox just makes it easier. And, oh, okay. you know, it's it's got a fun interface. So it's like, you know, and then this, there's a community aspect to Letterbox too. So you get to see um, what your people you follow like oh, what cool. their ratings or their reviews of the, the movie is I, you know i guess i gotta so letterbox is my main system. i gotta make an account is it is it free yeah it's solely free um there are like you know paywalls like payment tiers if you want certain features but i don't really find any use for them okay you know they're really more for hardcore i guess yeah cinephiles or people who who really you know it's like their life yeah <laughs> to I basically log movies I have a buddy. I, I have a buddy who's like watched, like over the pandemic, watched every movie released in in 1995, and then wow. he, and then I think he's moved on to 1996. So yeah, okay. I know a couple. He should have started a year earlier because 94 was a really good movie year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He should he should go back after he's done with yeah. 96. Go back to 94 because yeah. he's missing out. Like That's 94 right. was an amazing movie year. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, especially because uh, I want him to watch Satan Tango. <laughs> Satan Tango. Which, uh, for people who know what that movie, yeah, what that movie <laughs> is, it's a seven and a half hour oh, Hungarian film that came out in '94. <laughs> so he needs to see that. If he's gonna be right. a year completist, he needs to see Satan Tango. I'll let him know. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he ha- he should have a letterbox because yeah, yeah, it just makes it easy. Um, you know, they they have a way of you can look at your movies. Um, you know, by rating, mm-hmm. by the order that they were released. Oh, cool. Um, by the order that you saw them in. Yeah. You know, and you can make lists too. Yeah, I have a, a few lists. I mean, I think we should even just start a movie po- a movie food list. Um, letterbox because a lot of movie podcasts actually have an official letterbox. Yeah. Um, uh, profile let's do it so we're yeah so, we're official yeah we can we can um we can start with but with what we're gonna discuss with this episode you yeah. know we can start with movies we've talked about you yeah. know so so, so yeah if we're moving on to the first film this was a movie that um i grew up um i think i first saw it when i was again in that you know 95 96 era so mm-hmm. i was about 15 16 and this is a movie that I have very fond memories of. I don't know if it holds up, um, mm-hmm. so I'm really curious. To did you see. watch it again? Um, I did scrub through it. Yeah, okay. re- <laughs> recently, and so I'm 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 curious to get your input on it. Of course, this is a Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. It's a Jackie Chan yes. classic. It was released. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. March first, nineteen seventy-eight. Yes. So, which was a. Uh, crazy year yeah this is a big year like i so like is this the same Mm -hmm. year as like um halloween 78 uh yes but i mean just in terms of jackie's filmography 
he it's the same year as Drunken Master. And he had seven roles. I looked it up. He had seven roles in 1978. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Like what a clip, you know, even if he he, he had shot those like in the, the year previous, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's still back to back to back, like right. just working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so just for a little background. Yeah. So in 1978, I'm not alive yet, but my mom and dad had just, were, were about to be married in two months. So, so. Yeah, that's just a little family wow. background. Wow, so they got so, married. Yeah. Interesting. So so I'm curious, yeah, what are your just general thoughts? Oh, I loved it. Uh, yeah, nice. I, and nice. I, I went in, like, I guess with, yeah, <laughs> very low sure. expectations because um, uh, when, we, when we were, you had mentioned the title, I thought I had seen it before, but I actually mistook it for uh, Fearless Hyena, mm. which I didn't really respond to as much. And Fearless Hyena, actually, I looked it up, came out the year after this. Yeah. You know? Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll fully admit, like, I guess in terms of my background, I haven't seen that many Jackie Chan films, but every time I see one, I always usually enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I had no idea that... Uh, we haven't even mentioned who the director is. It's uh, uh, Yen Yu Wu Ping. Yep. Like the, I had no idea that he was actually a director. I just thought he was an action choreographer because of the Matrix, you know. Yeah. And I was like, wow, they really like got this guy. And um, this isn't actually the first film of his I've seen. I saw this other movie called Dreadnought, mm. um, and I can't remember who was in it. Uh, I think he was a famous star back in his day, but obviously not on the the caliber of, of Jackie, but right. he was still incredible. And, and dreadnought was amazing. Like I was blown away by dreadnought. Um, and I think this is on par with dreadnought. Ooh. Maybe dreadnought is a little more, I guess, artistic in mm. a way. And this is more kind of silly and campy at times. Yeah. Um, but still like, uh, it's just, uh, Wu Ping's like artistry is yeah. incredible. Like I, I, I have like kind of a ranking of, um, of my my favorite martial arts directors and he's definitely i think in in the top five yeah and i think that's the amazing thing with martial arts especially cinema because you know um there are these directors who are legacy directors who've made like incredible filmographies Mm -hmm. a lot of them were with for the shaw brothers yeah and you know those who have seen kill bill they've seen that shaw brothers uh, logo that's where tarantino stole it from (laughs) um so uh yeah, they, they they were just this company that just churned out all these martial arts movies and, you know, at a rapid clip and to to see how, like, incredibly, like, artistic they are and how you can even distinguish between the directors is amazing, you know. Mm. But the thing is, yeah, if you've made one classic, I feel, as a as a martial arts director, you're, you're set. You know, that's yeah. really it. You only <laughs> need to make one. That's it. And, um yeah and uh i would i would probably put dreadnought over this movie sure but i i still definitely enjoyed it a yeah. lot you know like um uh there's like uh you know you're familiar probably with a lot of the martial arts tropes sure yeah <laughs> and i always enjoyed to seeing these like you know the the loser learns you know? yeah yeah <laughs> like this is one of my favorite martial arts tropes or like yeah. um the expert who pretends not to know kung fu mm-hmm. like that's another one that that's I, in this one yeah i really like yeah yeah and then you know just even highlighting the different martial arts styles yeah you know uh, and i mean you know that's where the title comes from obviously yeah, yeah that's a big part of of the mm-hmm. movie is the whole styles and 
Um, from from what I understand, this might have been his directorial debut. Um, I'll have to double check. Oh wow! That. Okay, I think this. So and then mm-hmm. and really the the, the bat like the historical background that I know is that this is the movie that really put Jackie Chan on the map. Like this, and then he quickly followed up wow. with, Dr- with Drunken mm-hmm. Master was what separated him from whatever that mid tier actor was to okay this guy's a star because if because mm-hmm. it, it showcased his his uh martial arts but then also his ability to to be funny and 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 you know it's like it's it's, it's maybe not <laughs> yes. la- it's it's not laugh at loud funny but it's definitely goofy and oh it's, I, it, I thought it was I was I thought I was howling oh good <laughs> I thought it was oh, hilarious good. I mean oh. especially the final fight when he like starts to put everything together yeah and he he kind of you know he, he's he realized like the missing link was the cat claw. The, the cat and I was claw. Like, oh my god! And all the, the yeah, the, the cat sounds. The, all the yeah. cat uh, like shrieking. Yeah. Yes. In the fight, I was howling in that okay. last fight. Okay. And good. and just even that contrast, you know, talking about fighting styles, you know, because the final boss that he encounters is basically this guy who's like pompous and he takes himself so seriously. Yeah. And then Jackie's just like this goofy dude. Yeah. And, to see him beat him is just amazing you know well yeah i mean so yeah the thing that's always baffling to me is you know in in these kind of set period movies in you know ancient china like why do the styles hate each other so much the two main plots are that the eagle's claw is trying to get rid of everyone who knows snake fist and then there are these two two rival schools that for some reason hate mm-hmm. each other and they're trying to steal each other's students and then get in fights. And it's mm-hmm. never really explained why any of that is happening. It's just people don't like each other. And I and I guess that's just human nature to you know, to some extent. But yeah. it's just like like why does the Eagle's claw hate Snake Fist so much? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you can even see it carry through with uh, Cobra Kai. I don't know if you've been watching Cobra Kai on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. You know, they've just moved it to the valley. You know, that's basically it. It's still like rival schools going up against each other, saying that their right. style is better than the other. You know, and uh, and this one, it's not even rooted in culture. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, you know, the, the kind of... Uh, motivation for a lot of the people to join these schools is because they need to learn self-defense yeah and you know i mean it's just hilarious to me i mean you probably find it funny too being from the valley how they make it seem like you know karate is so <laughs> like huge in the valley that it's Dude, it that, dominates uh, the valley it's <laughs> like, so funny because like everybody's mind because really what dominates in the valley is like actual gang violence and like you know and like you know at mm-hmm. one point maybe like right break dance crews or something but yeah no one's doing doing actual karate yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Jared was telling me about like how when his parents moved to the valley, like there was a real gang yeah. that was like just down the street. Yeah, <laughs> the um, so, the so, house that they moved into when they first moved was on Langdon, and there was a Langdon Street gang, and it was one of those things where it's like they didn't know. <laughs> it was just it, it was just a, a, a nice affordable house, but luckily <laughs> that's the reason why it was affordable. But luckily yeah. they were able to kind Man. of navigate around it and 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 eventually move. Right. But, um, but yeah. But yeah, so spe- speaking of Jr., this is a uh, mm-hmm. you know he you know he's obviously he's our cousin, part of the Filipino Time mm-hmm. Pod, and one of the reasons why we watched this, or I what what or mm-hmm. I guess the reason why I first saw this was he had it on VHS, 
Um, it was his brother's. Ah. And his brother had it, I think, in, in his closet somehow buried, and we found it. We had we just happened upon it, and it was the one <laughs> with it that was dubbed in English. And so I think that's the one right. that you watched. And so there's something so funny about the the dubbing. I didn't watch the dub version, sorry. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> I didn't okay. watch the dub version. Okay, I actually good. saw. Yeah, but the the funny thing is that it's still dubbed, even though it's in Cantonese. Uh-huh. Like it's still dubbed in Cantonese. Like the the sound isn't sync. Like yeah. it wasn't live sound that they recorded. So, oh, okay. uh, but I can imagine how much funnier it would have been. Yeah. Uh, with the dubbing. The dubbing is yeah. is is amazing. And and so if if you want to watch it, <laughs> do you English, remember anything in particular that? Well, just um. So. The, in the when when the fat kid so so there's a fat kid who's like a prospective student at one at at mm. these schools and so he comes yes. in he's the son yeah of, he was like um he's the, the son of a, a ma- magistrate or something like that or like so a magistrate yeah that's right and so the way he's dubbed he, the way he sounds is like oh uh, uh, I've seen people break <laughs> bricks fantastic can you can your men break bricks it's just like. It's yeah. so over the top. <laughs> yeah. It's so perfect. Yeah. And um and and it's one of those things yeah, so just as kids, me, Jay, and Jonathan and you know, we would just quote all the dumb things from this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other person who was really quotable was the Russian priest. So like, you know Oh yes. Oh my god. <laughs> so you know, he he comes running in and says, you know, Jesus says, you know, to turn the other cheek. And then the guy slaps him. <laughs> and he's like, "Jesus, he's a sinner." <laughs> um, so yeah, so just all all these scenes were just like so fun. The characters in this movie are unbelievable. Like they're so memorable. Like um, so, there's Jackie. Um, at the beginning, there's mm-hmm. like that um, Master Lee, who's like c- kind of treats him really yes. poorly and pretends to be good at martial arts, but he's not <laughs> very good. Um. There's the magistrate the, and, the, and the fat kid, the priest, Mr. Lung, the guy who like tries to break the bricks and then hurts his hand and has to like rub the ointment on his hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to mention him, too. I wanted to highlight him because um, that actor is uh, Chi Ling Shu. Okay. And um, the reason why I remember him is because of Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, like yeah. he's one of the old masters in Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. And it's even funnier because he's the I think he's like the the laundromat guy, I think. And he um and he's gay in mm-hmm. Kung Fu Hustle. <laughs> and um the yeah, the rings reminded me of him, you know. Yeah. It was just like the rings around his arms. So I was like, totally. oh wow, that's a, a like nice callback from uh, Stephen Chow. Totally. You know, to cast him. And then yeah. for me, the other memorable part are just all the different set pieces. Like um Mm-hmm. Like I think may- maybe the best scene. There's an early scene, around thirty minutes, where the old man is training Jackie Chan. He's yes. He wants. He asks him to grab the bowl, and he, so mm-hmm. he basically has a rice bowl. He's, he's trying to cheer him up, and Jackie can't mm-hmm. grab the bowl. And the choreography is <laughs> like really good. Yes, it's really skillful. It's fun, and then at the end, mm-hmm. I think. Um, that leads to like the first training session where the old man leaves while Jackie's asleep, but but then leaves like footprints, like 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 a pattern mm-hmm. for him to try to match, and so it's kind of, you know it, yeah it, 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 yeah it, it, it's very silly that Jackie all of a sudden now like just from looking at the footprints can can now do like 
all the footwork it takes, you know, to do like the martial right. arts, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the training sequences in, in these martial arts movies are some of my favorite things. You know, when, when that hits in a movie, I'm yeah. like, yeah, this is amazing. But it, it's just ironic that um, uh, my favorite martial arts movie doesn't have a training sequence in it because it, it's basically two people who are already good. Yeah. And, um, but it does have this... Th- it does have this sequence where they both pretend like they they don't know right. actually or they're hiding it. Um, the, this movie also has a very funny English title. The English title is um, "Dirty Ho," <laughs> and it stars uh, Gordon Liu, and yeah. it's amazing. Like it's okay. just such a remarkable. And you know, I was just thinking in in the context of of, of my favorite martial arts movies because I'm I'm a bit of a latecomer. If you yeah. you discovered it as a kid, like you know I. I knew about Enter the Dragon and, sure. and some of those movies, but you know that's already kind of westernized. Um, yeah. But I really actually only started to get into martial arts movies probably maybe I want to say five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like went on a summer binge and I tried to get my hands on every martial arts movie that I could think of that had like a great reputation. Yeah. And yeah, I, I even watched them a lot of them dubbed because I I just was such a fan of Wu Tang. Yes, like, I loved you know like all the samples that they were using, and you know there's there's some purists who are like saying you should never watch these movies dubbed. You know that's like terrible. That why are you watching them? Sure, but I love it. You know it's like part of the experience for me. Totally, it's funny. Know? It's funny that you mentioned Wu Tang. I was also really mm-hmm. big around this time into that Wu Tang Forever album because I think that came out also sure. in the mid '90s somewhere. And so to see, yeah, it was like '97. So to, to to see this movie and then this kicked off maybe a two year run where me and Jer similarly we mm-hmm. we would drive to a rental store almost every weekend try to rent two movies and watch them for, for like two years straight. So nice. it was and and part of the appeal was oh these movies have in it these sounds that I'm hearing from the, in these Wu Tang songs. Yeah, right, and, exactly, and they're they're beautiful. Like yeah. And it and it works. It makes sense. These movies have way more fights in them than Enter the Dragon or mm-hmm. you know, some of these other kind of yeah you know, more westernized uh, sure. martial arts films. And so it was just like it was so fun. And and that's what I love about Snake Snake is that it's so fun. Yeah, it's it's not just even I think the choreography of the fights too, yeah. and the the amount of them. It's it's how they're shot. Like that's what really like blew my mind seeing them. Yeah. around five years ago was just man there's really like uh like an acknowledgement of space of where everybody is and like where to put the camera you know to get that shot that they want to like get a hit across or like you know when somebody uh like exits the frame like where does the camera move next like yeah. you know it was just so wonderful even just the zooms like the way that they utilize zooms as well mm-hmm. or just yeah the, there was nothing like it at that time you know um, like there was just really this peak, like in the late seventies, early eighties of these movies, these Shaw brothers movies that were just amazing, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. And, um, this movie, it kind of had it all, you know, just like you're saying, there's kind of two kinds of martial arts films. There's like the beginner who doesn't know anything, who gets, has to train and then get good. <laughs> and then there's the martial arts film. Yeah. That's a little more that you kind of see a little more now because I think, viewers are don't have the patience to watch someone train anymore is is right where, where the person already starts off an expert 
you know, like like the mm-hmm. Jason Bourne or the John Wick, where it's just like, right, you don't have to worry about a training. You know, like Ong Bak, he's yeah, he, yeah. He, he's already dropping knees yeah. and, on, and elbows on everybody, right? Yeah, yeah or the raid movies, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, even the yeah, the, just going back to the the different styles of of, of martial arts and how they're highlighted. They, I, you know, relating yeah. it to to hip hop. That's really what it also felt like with Wu Tang. Like it was all these different styles. Like you know, all of them, and they would mention it in in the lyrics. You know, yeah. like the the Tiger verse Crane. You know, and Tiger style. Yeah. <laughs> um. So all of those things were being mentioned in in the Wu Tang tracks, and I guess another. I like making these hip hop connections because, you know, I mean, that that really, you know, the RZA and the Wu-Tang really pioneered it. And there are other groups that started copying it. Um, is that, yeah, again, also in hip hop, you only really need one album that's great to solidify your legacy. Yeah. <laughs> Similar to martial arts, like the, the 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 filmmakers only need to make one and that's it. You're you're set, you know. Yeah, just you know, sometimes even just one great verse. I I remember on that Wu Tang Forever, mm-hmm. just like I you know I'll, I still remember just a couple of the verses. Just they just so stand out, and like that's all it takes, you know. For sure. Um, the the, the other thing I wanted to point to point out, I don't know if you've ever played Tekken Three. There's a a character. Uh, I don't think so. No. Uh, well, anyways, there's a, a, a I think it's Lei Lei Wu Long. I think mm-hmm. so. He, you know, yeah, he's he, he's a character who's like the surrogate for Jackie Chan, and um, mm-hmm. and basically, there's a lot of um in his narrative in the video game. It shows a lot of the training scenes from this movie, like that scene where Jackie Chan is training to grab oh. the eggs, the eggs off of that stick. Mm. You know, like like all, all, all mm-hmm. the bamboo poles, and then there's also a training scene where he has like his 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 arms in like a ring. Anyways. A lot of those are all, uh, are, oh, are wow. in Tekken Three, so it's just it's, it's just oh, it's just I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I'm, it's just iconic training scene, I, I guess, essentially, for sure. Uh yeah, I, I guess I'll have to check that out because uh, yeah, the the Tekken I play the most is um, five. Oh, and I'm not very good at it. No, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, I just had it for my PS2, so that's why. Yeah, uh, and you know, I I love the graphics. That's really more my thing with it. Um. Oh yeah, just another kind of, uh, uh, um, I guess trope of martial arts movies yeah. that I like, um, which might not even be intentional. It's just that it just happens that way. That like f- sometimes people meet each other and they they don't know each other for the f- and they fight for the first time. Like it's a way yeah. of meeting each other. It's like getting to know each other is, right. is the fight, you know. I've always loved that. Like yeah. that's one of the ways that it's like, oh, you get to know this person, and it, it, you know, obviously it's not verbal at all. It's all just, um, yeah, their style, and you're anticipating what they're doing, their you know, and it's that yeah. dance, and you know, I mean, I've always loved that. Um, Jackie's been very open about who his his influences are, and that you know he loves Buster Keaton and Gene Kelly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those are his two main influences. Yeah, and like so. this movie, you see. You you know you see a, a decent amount of his uh, you know of of that influence. You see it more in later films like Project A, and um, mm-hmm. m- maybe even Dragons Forever, and um, Drunken Master Two. But um, yes. I mean yeah, yeah, I mean if we want to go on a Jackie Chan run, we can. I, I definitely we have, could. I, yeah, I mean I'm, I have my top five. 
Um, but um, yeah, I have a lot of gaps, so definitely. But I, I would say Drunken Master Two is pretty close to the top for yeah. me. You know, and yeah, the, we can get into that because that also would lead to um, my favorite martial arts directors because um, uh, Lau Kar Lung actually co-directed that with Jackie. Oh. And, you know, it was like this great thing where Lau Kar Lung and, you know, this master and then, you know, Jackie Chan coming together in a movie, but it actually didn't work. Uh, Lau Kar Lung actually left the movie midway through and Jackie, that's why they have the co-director credit because right. Jackie just finished the movie right. without him because I think they disagreed on a lot of things, which uh -huh. is a shame, you know. So I don't know what part of, of Lau Kar Lung actually survived in the final. Yeah product but yeah i mean yeah now carlong directed dirty ho so that's oh, good. something <laughs> that's so i mean yeah yeah he's just i yeah. have I, i've seen a lot of jackie chan films but i have a lot of holes in the other films so i, I think yeah that would be a fun season if, if we do a martial arts yeah. season it's just like where we just sure yeah yeah i fill out I, all these definitely holes. get into that yeah, yeah. um yeah I've, I've actually been meaning to revisit a couple of movies because uh uh i got um eight pole diagram oh no mm. eight diagram pole fighter okay. um uh yeah on blu-ray recently and i've been meaning to rewatch it that's another lao karlong movie cool uh it's probably his darkest one and then um uh, i watched this movie in shu kui and jackie um and it, it's later jackie it's yeah. like 90s like you know just before probably rush hour Jackie, uh, it's like one of his last Hong Kong movies, but it was really charming. Um, what I'm blanking on the title now. Um, but yeah, it was it was an enjoyable movie, sure. and it has like a great fight between Jackie and a guy who was like a longtime member of the stunt team, and like he's kind of giving him props. Uh huh. You That's know, good. and I, I love the the narratives behind um the fights too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we can definitely get into that. Awesome. So, yeah, like. I'm just looking over my notes. I only have kind of one other note on this movie is that, so the key part is uh, Jackie witnesses a cat fighting a snake and mm -hmm. and gets, has the realization of adding the cat's claw to the snake fist. And that's ultimately how he yeah. <laughs> defeats the eagle's claw. I don't know if, if you noticed, right. like I read this in the production notes on IMDb that I guess... You can see the cat has like a a rope or like a string tied to it so that it would stay and fight <laughs> the snake. So it's Oh a, man. Yeah. So it's a little bit of like what what one of those like you, you couldn't do that anymore. And and I'm sure if you mm -hmm. watch the movie, sure. if they re released it, they like probably severely edited down that scene. Cause I, I remember watching mm -hmm. it on the tape yeah. that JR had. And there was a lot of scenes mm -hmm. of the cat you could see it. batting at batting at that snake, and you know, and then and so it's mm -hmm. you know a lot of things that wouldn't fly anymore, you know. <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, yeah the, you definitely like. Um, there's definitely gonna be like an animal rights uh, yeah. Yeah. consultant sure. on every set <laughs> would not allow that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think you can wow. tie okay. a, tie a string to the cat. And then the only other note is, I mm -hmm. guess, at the the last fight when he's fighting the final boss, the boss says something about um, smashing out his teeth or breaking Jackie's teeth. And I guess at some point he actually accidentally did knock out one of his teeth. And you can see at the last couple scenes, like <laughs> there's like a gap in Jackie's teeth. <laughs> oh, that was legit. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, damn. Snake yeah. in the Eagle's shadow. No, not the last bone he would broke. Yeah. No. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> right. 
Well, cool. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks for recommending this movie. I, you know, I definitely enjoyed watching it, you know? Um, so yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I'm happy you enjoyed it. It's still, it still holds up. So Mm -hmm. that, that feels good. So the movie, um, that I watched, that's one of your faves. So you basically gave me a list of like five and I watched all the trailers. And so the movie Mm -hmm. I picked was Patterson from 2016 starring Adam Driver and I guess before I get into it, kind of what, like, like where were you in 2016? Like, like what do you remember about watching it? Oh, man. Okay. All right. So, uh, I mean, I guess like a lot of people, I had a terrible 2016. <laughs> you know, everything that could go wrong went wrong for me in 2016. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really want to get into the details, but um, I guess that that definitely helped shape what led me to this movie. So I guess full disclosure is I'm, I'm a big fan of Jim Jarmusch, like mm-hmm. pretty much any movie that Jim Jarmusch comes out with, I'll, I'll go see. Um, uh, yeah. And what, when I was actually giving you the list and what I mentioned, maybe it was in the previous episode. Uh, my favorite movie is stranger than paradise. That's mm-hmm. also by Jim Jarmusch. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, yeah. It's funny that you ended up picking this movie, which is, I think, on a par, I've probably seen it more than Strangers in Paradise at this point. So uh, this came out like on the very last Friday of 2016. Like it was December 28th. I, I'll never forget that because I was like anticipating this movie. Like I'd I'd seen like images from it, and um, you know I was just excited about it. And they Amazon. <laughs> who produced this, who also kind of had a very interesting like first year of producing movies. Yeah. So this was one of the first movies that they ever produced. Um, uh, yeah, they they just dumped it on December 28th when nobody's watching movies. And yeah. I saw it in New York City when it's like super freezing cold. Like nobody's going out to go see a movie, you know, at, that, at this oh, point in, in the in year. New York. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I was in New York City at that time. Um, and uh yeah, I can, I can probably talk about like the the ripple effect of the movie after we discuss it, but I'll, yeah. I'll just talk about what led sure. leading up to seeing it. So uh, it was playing uh, actually in a movie theater that's now closed down, sadly, the the landmark Sunshine, which was like, uh, yeah, uh, it was a landmark. It was uh, iconic. This uh, The facade of the building was amazing. It was uh, like a, a multiplex, but it, they, they only showed mainly art films. And um, yeah, so I... I I bought the ticket opening day, uh, went to see it, but I, I didn't realize too, this was one of my big regrets that um, the earlier screening, if I'd gone to the earlier screening, Jim Jarmusch actually did a Q&A in oh. person and I missed it because <laughs> I went to the later yeah. screening in the evening, but the afternoon one, he he actually did a Q&A. So I'm like, damn, I, I was bummed that I missed it. But, you know, it was great. Like the screening was, uh, the, the theater was fairly empty and um yeah and i should just say also leading up to this i you know even though i am a fan of jim jarmusch i really don't feel like up to that point i had seen anything that really blew me away by him for Mm. a while you know um i think the only movie of his before then that i still kind of liked was um uh probably and i I wasn't even sure of it was um uh, the limits of control and I have a friend, Marcus, he loves Jim Jarmusch too, but he hates Limits of Control. A lot of people don't like Limits of Control, but I liked it. Uh, but it was also like I had reservations. But 
uh, if I was really tracking back to like a, a Jim Drummer's film I truly loved, I would have even have to go all the way back to like Dead Men from 1995. Like that was like the last Jim Drummer's movie that I was like, okay, this is great. You know, I, I'm going to be watching this, you know, for years to come. But none of them felt like that. Like I, I just felt like he, you know, in the 2000s, he was kind of, um, I, I, I don't want to say he was going through the motions, but the films just didn't hit me the same way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, so I was like pleasantly surprised by Patterson. Like I was so blown away by it. Uh, I was just like, man, this is incredible. And I wasn't a fan of Adam Driver too. So he, this movie made me a believer. And I ended up going back like two days later and watching it again. Oh, <laughs> like I was just like, I was like, yeah, let me buy another ticket and watch it. Cause I was just like, yeah, I, I need to make sure that this is actually great. Cause you know, it's yeah. that feeling after you've seen a movie where, it's like recency bias, you know, whatever it is that you're feeling right after a movie, you still need to process it. But I was like, I need to watch this again. I really need to make sure that this is a, a masterpiece. You know? Yeah. And so and so when you walked in the first mm-hmm. time, you weren't necessarily expecting it. You, like, you, like you didn't know much about it. No. Yeah. It was just like the premise that there was this bus driver who wrote poetry and that was it. And I. I actually thought that that was like based on a real story for some reason. I don't know why. It sounds <laughs> but, real uh, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That there's this bus driver and um, yeah, and then we can get into it. But uh, but yes, and then I ended up actually watching it one more time mm-hmm. <laughs> after that. Like um, I I took a girl on a date to go see it with me. Nice. <laughs> you know, and she and she loved it too. Oh, you good. know, so I was like, man, this this is a keeper. But yeah, obviously, uh, I'm not seeing her anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, uh, that day though, yeah, she loved it. Good, and I was like, "Yeah." So, well, that's good. All right. So I watched the trailer, and so from watching the trailer, I tried to guess what was going to be in it. So this is what I wrote down: It's about a bus driver. He has wisdom to pass on to the passengers. Okay. <laughs> I guess I I guess that he he has kind of a violent past, mm. but but he knows how to be happy in the moment. And then some tragic something tragic happen, happens to a kid. That was just like oh, my guess okay. is because like I was trying because like it's kind of mysterious just from looking at the trailer. Well, what's yes. the movie about? Yeah, and it has this incredible instrumental track playing on on the trailer too, which is is not really highlighted in the movie, but um, it, it the track is called "I'm Still a Man." Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the artist, but it's it's one of those rare ones where there's a um a vocal version and there's an. In- an instrumental version of it and that's what's used in the trailer and it's amazing yeah yeah and so i think ultimately i think uh just kind of getting into my general thoughts i think because one i tried to guess what was in it and i guessed all these kind of you know things like you were close yeah i I, I got (laughs) close ish but then also too knowing that this was one of your favorite films i think i went in with a slightly elevated Oh, perception. <laughs> and so I yeah. think I kind of messed, I kind of intentionally self sabotaged it. And I ended yeah, up, yeah, yeah, like, you know, because it goes, so it's basically it's broken down. If, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a week. I think it's a week. Yeah, it, yeah it's a week in his life. By, so through Thursday, I was like, this is awesome. I, I like it. It's super, <laughs> super cozy, mm-hmm. really relaxing movie. Right, you know, really easy to kind of get behind. You know, it's just just kind of a day in the life, or it's you know, four days in the life at that point. Mm -hmm. All all fairly similar. He's very happy, very comfortable. But then, Mm -hmm. I kept expecting the shoe to drop, like something to happen. Right. 
or to find out the reason why he's so happy is because he had a tragic incident in the military or mm-hmm. um, they lost a kid. And so that's why that, you know, that they're kind of childless. And then mm. his spa, you know, his partner is also kind of, you know, she paints her, she paints her dresses, she paints the curtains. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at it through the lens of like, all right, is something wrong with her? Like is, so, <laughs> I, I, so unfortunately I couldn't just take it at face value, which is kind of where I, I where, where it ends. It ends very much like the way it starts where it's just like, no, these are people that have love. They mm-hmm. create poetry. They enjoy the moment. Yeah, why not paint the drapes and paint your dress? And why not make cupcakes and sell them? And why not write poetry and um, mm-hmm. dr- and, and enjoy your life driving the bus and enjoy your life yeah. in Patterson? And it's like all these kind of ideas that are really comforting, um, but if you're expect like there's a little bit of like have i been conditioned in watching a movie to think something's going to happen yeah you know like some shoe is going to drop and so unfortunately i think i fell into that and so i in watching it i ended up at the end kind of being like did i miss something yeah. because i was waiting for that thing you know yeah 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 and i mean they're they're there is some tragedy at the end, you know. I mean, this movie's been out for for five years or so now, almost six years. So if you haven't seen it, I mean, I still feel like most people haven't because every time I mention it, uh, nobody is like, "What Patterson?" Like, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime." <laughs> like, well, um, like, like, what's the tragedy? His uh, his notebook gets chewed up by uh, Marvin, by the, yeah. and and he didn't make any copies. Right. That but, is yeah. No, sad. I, yeah, I but I do get. Um, what you're saying though there are some little hints of like something might happen like even you know when he's walking Marvin in and he encounters those uh, those gangsters yeah. or wannabe gangsters and he's like you know you might get dog jacked <laughs> you know what I mean that, that was actually a part of the movie I really liked was that the character Adam Driver plays Patterson mm-hmm. he is very comfortable and he's just he's in the moment you know a car of young what would be, you know, stereotyped as gang members or, or you know, or, or scary dudes rolls up on him and they're like, hey. And he's just very calm, looks at him and interacts with them in a very natural way. Right. And even has like kind of a joke for them. You know, it's like, it's it's very, um, it's it's how I, I wish I could act. Yeah. You know? Sure, yeah. It's, it's very endearing. Um. And so ultimately, like I, I really enjoy a lot of the ideas of the movie. I just didn't necessarily enjoy my experience watching the last third, right? Think, thinking something else was going to happen, you know? Yeah, and I would say like give it time, and you know maybe come back to it with, with now knowing where you you know where it's heading. Just like enjoy it for what it is, because um, that was really it for me. And also, you know, I I come. Uh, just knowing what a Jim Jarmusch film is. So I never had that expectation of like some sort of dramatic denouement. Yeah. That's why it was like, it was surprising to me to even just see the, um, you know, that that event happened with the notebook because you could, it's kind of telegraphed, you know, it's like she goes, yeah, let's go see the movie. And then he d- leaves the notebook on the couch. And you're like, oh no, you know, something's going to happen to the notebook, you know, and, and there's such beautiful poems too. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it is beautiful. 
Yeah, um, those poems, by the way, are written by Ron Paget, who is an incredible poet. I had never read him before the movie, mm-hmm. but I like just sought out every book that he wrote after that because oh, wow. I was just so blown away by the poetry. Um, and yeah, I, I guess just another funny thing about the movie is that it's it's about kind of being comfortable with your place in life. Um, and if it, if there's something noble about you know, just being a bus driver who writes poetry, you know, that you don't need to be this ambitious person who's going to be poet laureate or, you know, make a living from your art, you know? Um, And uh, yeah, I guess that spoke to me and it's just ironic because, you know, basically it's made by two people, you know, Jim Jarmusch. um, Yeah. He's a filmmaker. He's, (laughs) you know, he does that for a living, you know, that he's never, I mean, he probably worked odd jobs before he became a filmmaker, but He's had a steady career pretty much, you know, since I've been born because, you know, he, he yeah, he really broke through with Stranger Than Paradise in 1984. Um, but uh, and then, yeah, Ron Padgett, too, like Ron Padgett has made a living as a poet. You know, he said he's never worked a day in his life. He's wow, that's amazing. <laughs> no, he's just, yeah, yeah. He, because he he's there's just something about his poetry, um, which is just. He starts, it's it's actually a good thing if you're an aspiring poet to kind of look to where he just starts with something very minuscule and then he, he you know, expands Layers from that, it, yeah. you know. And then, yeah, it could just be an observation. Like, you just start with something that's on your desk and, you know, make an observation about that. You know, my favorite poem in it is Love Poem and it's about a book of matches. Yeah. You know, <laughs> And another funny thing is too, you don't see that book of matches um, anymore. Like it's really rare. Like they, the production company actually had to make one specifically for the movie, oh, you cool. know? So, yeah. Because, um, you know, that's a real poem that uh, some of the poems like Ron Padgett wrote for the movie. Some of them are actually poems that he had written previously right. that Jim Jarmusch liked. And he said like, we can incorporate this and yeah, it just really ties into um, the Patterson character because uh, there's no other way in we really have with him other than uh, in terms of interior. He's a very exterior kind of guy. Like um, uh, a lot of his, which I find very sweet, like his interactions with, you're not even sure if that's his wife or this living girlfriend. Yeah. Like it's not really clear. Um, but um, uh, what's this, like their interactions are she, it's, it's her, you know, kind of, uh, driving the conversation or uh introducing ideas you know and he's just kind of along for it you know (laughs) even though he hesitates when you know she she asks him to buy the guitar right (laughs) (laughs) and she's like no it comes with lessons and everything you know and i'm gonna be the next yeah because in terms of ambition she is like she's got the ambition yeah Yeah. but it's kind of misdirected energy because it's just like okay today i want to (laughs) paint today i want to play guitar and the next day, I want to bake muffins. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I really resonated with that idea, though, of like being happy, being, you know, having a job and still being creative and not and having those be separate, you know, and like and having it be OK that you're not monetizing your creativity. You know, right. it's something that it's like it's kind of a big part of all of us. It's like, you know, it's, I feel so much better when I have a project or two. Right. And they don't have to, doesn't have to coincide with my job. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, that's like the most beautiful idea, I think, of, of the movie. Mm-hmm. 
is being comfortable. Yeah, that, that's most of us. And, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't mean it doesn't diminish your creative output just because you're not ambitious, you know, like that. that's the thing. You can be creating beautiful works of art without anybody knowing about it. Totally. You know, it's like it, it, there's this pressure of just like that people put on themselves, I guess, maybe because of social media. That it's like, oh, you got to put yourself out there, you know. But no, there's there's some guy in Patterson, New Jersey, who writes poetry, and you know, it, yeah, and it could be amazing when we just don't know about it. And sometimes that's enough, you know. It's like, I think having gone through so many processes um, in terms of creative stuff, like you know, I, I'm I'm now at the phase where to me it's just the the act. You know, that's all that matters. Like the output, you know, hopefully it, it shows up, but I'm I'm not fretting about it as much as I used to when I was younger, where it's like, oh man, like it has to count, like this is all has to matter. <laughs> you know, whereas now it's just like, well, you know, if 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 I enjoyed the process of doing it and it was like that I reached that high, you mm-hmm. know, that moment where it was just like, oh, everything's clicking. Like some actually the other day when I was biking around the park, I was just thinking about that too, of just like there's ideas for me that have to click in a project where it's like, oh, this is the thing that's kind of like an anchor. And I need to hang on to that because, you know, sometimes I'll lose it if I don't like write it down mm-hmm. and I forget it. And then it just, you know, it's like the the entire project falls apart, you know, because it's like, oh, I don't have those anchors anymore. Those things that make it click together, you know? <laughs> so I was just thinking about that, you know, but that that's it. That That's what matters to me now more than like, you know, me getting a work out there and i'm you know i guess that goes without saying i actually in a funny way i started a project a year before i saw patterson and i'm still working on it now mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that's how long it's taken me and i've, I've like shot it over several years with different actors oh, um, cool. but yeah it's just it's the process for me i mean you know who knows it might end up being like i don't know if you've ever seen uh Synecdoche, new york yeah uh, where he puts on the play for the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> no, hopefully not. I want. I want to move on from this project eventually. But like you know, I think. Uh, I think people just need to enjoy the process a lot more. And I think the the movie's a good great reminder for uh, for me about that. And yeah, it's just that type of movie for me where if I put it on, because yeah, anybody with an Amazon Prime account can put it on. Um, you know, I end up watching the entire thing. <laughs> it's just that's what happens, you know, and. Um, Something about it, like it's just uh, rare too. Because I mean, you did bring up that idea that you're waiting for the other shoot to drop. Like, there's not many movies, and I I tend to seek that out, especially like late at night, where um, I just want something ambient, you know, something that just like uh, I I nothing much happens, you know. I I like those types of movies, um, and they they do exist, but they're rare, you know. It's like I I I've been introduced to this term called liminal space, and I feel like that's what these movies occupy or they they present like liminal space when a movie does that to me i'm just like man i love this you know this is great totally Um, yeah like um um, it seemed like there was a concerted effort or maybe not but um you know obviously patterson doesn't have a smartphone is kind of yes an ancillary (laughs) part of the movie but Mm -hmm. it ends up being kind of critical because um you can kind of tell he's not a person on technology. You know, his his occupation is to drive a bus. His mm-hmm. hobby is to write poetry. And he doesn't really seem that interested in sports or like watching TV. And so it's like everything is in person and analog. 
and there's a and he seems happy and like i i almost wonder if jarmouche is like subtly trying to like putting in that idea of like you know we don't need the smartphone to be happy or you know oh, for sure yeah yeah it, it's funny because um what got me into the other movie i said that kind of resonated with me that he did in the past uh i guess since the turn of the century um uh limits of control that's another movie that a lot of people hate because there's it's very obtuse there's not a lot uh like for you to lead into it and it doesn't really pay okay. off yeah the way people expect it to um but the thing was when i was listening to the interviews that he was doing during that time he was talking about how excited he was about like new ways of thinking mm-hmm. like he was that was the thing that was motivating him and i was just fascinated by it because now that i've seen what he's done since then it's like um yeah it is there are ways of new ways of thinking that are still analog that are still like you know tangible and right in front of you rather than yeah you're just you know you're relying on technology to kind of feed into that new way of thinking uh-huh. you know um that there's ways of actually thinking outside of things even though you know technology can be used as a tool because I I even feel like I would be a totally different filmmaker if I if I shot everything on film. You know, yeah. like it would like the reason why I've arrived at the approach that I do when I make my films now is because of digital technology. Like you know, and I, I mean that's something that fascinates me. Like I I really do want to push possibilities with the image. You know, um, but I wouldn't have been able to do that with film. It would have just been completely different. You know, uh, I still probably would have explored that. But yeah um that's what's fascinating yeah jarmusch is that guy i mean he does have an iphone though i I know that because um uh he he talked about it in an interview where he was like saying that um he's fascinated by sounds Mm -hmm. so he would just sometimes he said he'd take out his iphone and just record sounds on his his phone oh wow so that's how i knew (laughs) he has an iphone okay yeah yeah. (laughs) but um but yeah like uh people i know who have like gotten in touch with him and stuff usually say that you you can't really unless you're like super close to him like you can't really get in touch with him directly and this ties to patterson by the way you can only get in touch with him usually through his partner who's more like tech savvy um and that's uh sarah driver who's also a great filmmaker Mm -hmm. and the reason why this ties into this movie is I, i actually found out like some backstory which isn't really you know that well known unless you're you're like you've got the inside scoop oh yeah you won't read about this on the internet <laughs> um so this is an exclusive a oh. movie food exclusive <laughs> um so yeah he's he's been with his partner sarah driver for almost 40 years now yeah they basically when he started making films uh she's been there like you know she, she's not only like her lover um they they also like work together with his mm. films, but at the same time she also had her her own ambitions of of becoming a filmmaker and she's made a few films too. But her career just didn't take off the same way that his did, and part of the reason why that is is because she's been supporting him throughout all of these. So she's basically dedicating most of her energy into his work more than hers. Mm. You know, so he's become like this renowned filmmaker. You know, he's won a bunch of awards and, you know, she's kind of faded into the background. Um, And this film actually kind of relates to it in a way that, you know, in that sense of like, you know, what if the two two people like the couple are creative, but they're, you know, they're expressing themselves in different ways. 
like what does that entail like being in a relationship with somebody who's creative and what you have to sacrifice for that person you know in order for them to fulfill their creativity um you know it's just like uh i guess i've i've heard this uh, advice given that if you're you are like a creative artistic type that you should like date a doctor or a lawyer or an yeah. accountant because if, yeah it's just hard if you're both creative mm-hmm. and i i think for a while they even um yeah they they kind of separated they were estranged for a while and and it's possible that that also affected the work that's why i feel like the films just felt strange but this is definitely one of Jim Jarmusch's most personal films, I feel, mm-hmm. um, because of, of just how it portrays that relationship, yeah. you know? Totally. Yeah, I, you know, just in, in my own relationship, I know when I met, I was in a band and she was an actress. So right. it's like, there was like a, we can bond over creativity, but then there was, we both also have like a groundedness. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but yeah, it's, it's tricky, you know. It's like if if one of us is feeling more of the creative energy, what do, what does the other one do, you know? And so it's like, <laughs> it's like you know, it, it you know, it helps to kind of have. For me, I have my job is my grounding force, and then I, I use the creativity as like a hobby. That's how I've managed it. Mm-hmm. But then if you, but if the creativity is your job, it's like it can get really tricky. So yeah, that's a so that's interesting about uh, dr- driver and and Jarmusch. Right, and I mean, in a weird way too. Like, I guess maybe I'm speaking from an idealistic perspective. Like, you know, the couple in that movie is like what I aspired to as well. You know, it's like that that I would love to have that kind of relationship with somebody. You know. Um, because it, it's also the kind of relationship where I feel like people from the outside m- might not quite understand it. Right. Um, but, you know, you have... Because yeah, that that really is... I think we brought it up in the, the previous episode, too, of just... It, it's a matter of understanding each other enough to, like, reach a midpoint, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because she definitely lets him just write his poetry like there's no and she's encouraging about it too which is great you know it's like you should you should make copies you know (laughs) so yeah and then i i I also like their relationship they were comfortable together obviously but then they were also comfortable Mm -hmm. apart like she was totally fine with him hey go do your dog dog walk and hang out and drink a beer (laughs) at the bar i'm gonna go do my thing i don't really know Mm -hmm. what her thing was but so yeah. it's like <laughs> it was de- depending on the day what she yeah, felt like yeah, on that yeah, day exactly. But she had her um, what her aesthetic was her consistent aesthetic was black and white. She loved black and white. That's like, so that funny. was her thing. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Oh, the the one kind of production note I read, and you you can maybe correct me on this, is that um, it's so there's a line that she says where she had a she has a dream about twins. Yes. And. Mm-hmm. From the production note that I read, Jarmusch had shot all the all these scenes and noticed that there were all these twins popping up, and then wrote that line after. So it, it was kind of like um, I forget how he described it. It's you know it's kind of like anti foreshadowing or something where it's like you think maybe the movie will end where they're pregnant with with twins or something, right? right. But right. it doesn't get there. You know, mm-hmm. j- just like that scene where. The car pulls up and warns Patterson of of that the dog might get stolen, and that doesn't happen. Yeah, you know? for sure. And I mean, you know, the the other I guess event in the movie is the bus breaks down, and it's in the trailer. 
you know, but it's it's just like, okay, that's fine. You know, they'll just replace the bus and yeah, it's not everybody yeah. will be on their way. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's just how it is. But yeah, the, the twins thing, um, what's fascinating about this is that apparently Jim Jarmusch like had too many and then he had to cut it down. <laughs> Eventually he was like, yeah, there's, we're putting too many twins. Like, you know, they got carried away with it, but um, it, it, it really started with um, uh, the, I think the twins on the bus. That was really it. Like when they, I think one of the the actors, like one of the kids, because you know usually kids, they um especially when they're younger, they usually have a sibling with them to kind of like can take their place, you know, because they gotta still go to school and stuff like that on set. To um, but yeah, when they realize, oh, you're twins, you know, it's like that's what like got the ball rolling with that. And yeah, it, it, he, I, I heard an interview where he was talking about just how it just happens to be this thing where you start thinking about something and then you just start noticing it everywhere you go. Um, and he mentioned, actually, he, he, he thought about like a, a woman that uh, is wearing like a knee brace or something like that. And then he just started seeing it everywhere. He was going totally <laughs> like, it's just that weird coincidence that, you know, and you know, the movie has that dreamy feel, especially you know, when time is passing, when he's he's driving the bus and there's a lot of like these beautiful like superimpositions and cross cutting and, you know, time passing and and the score is amazing, which also, by the way, uh, Jim Jarmusch um, composed the score with his uh, producer, oh, Cardinal wow. Logan. Yeah, they're they're in a band called Squirrel. And I think he's been doing the scores since uh, I want to say um only lovers left alive which is also an incredible score okay uh that's a movie of his that i've been meaning to to come back to because that was a movie that was i thought it was all right like you know because i guess you know talking about like setting the bar high like i felt like with jim jarmusch um yeah he set the bar high for me you know from the 80s to the 90s that i was just like when the new ones started coming out i, I still remember the first one i saw that disappointed me was coffee and cigarettes mm-hmm. um because that was really more like a short film project that he had been building and then he just like shot a few more short films to kind of round it off so i was just like yeah it was all right you know there were some b- bits that were good and then i liked broken flowers but there was just something about broken flowers where it just it, it felt like it was missing something you know yeah have you seen a Jim Jarmusch movie before? I've seen this Broken one? Flowers. Oh, you've seen Broken yeah, Flowers. Okay. That, yeah, that yeah. one seemed very sleepy to me. You know, like it was yeah. com- it was coming off of Lost in Translation. Right. So there was an aspect of like wanting it to be like that. I remember when I was watching it. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it, it yeah, it's a de- definitely a different beat, a different rhythm. I I, I gra- eventually grew to love. Uh, broken flowers but yeah it was just like these movies were not hitting me like from the first shot like the same way you know those the earlier movies did you know like night on earth or you know stranger than paradise and down by law but patterson man yeah it was just that amazing thing and like yeah i've I've watched it so many times now (laughs) it's definitely a comfortable and very cozy movie to watch and and you do end up feeling good as you watch it and you you know you, you leave feeling good you just just don't expect something some something big to happen yeah yeah and it, it is a movie that i feel like you know it it will it like it will reward you more you know on subsequent viewings you know um the first viewing might not be it like it will only hit certain people that way but yeah i mean the movie was just so 
yeah, it affected me so much. Like aside from just going into this deep dive with with Ron Paget, I actually have some of his poetry books signed by him. You know, and Ron Paget oh, is wow. like, a, yeah, he's up there in age, so these books are really gonna be valuable. Okay. And um, yeah, and a lot of them are out of print, so I was able to actually, um, yeah, just a weird kind of roundabout thing. I um, I went to this bookstore in in Venice that um, focused on on poetry. Like they sold mostly poetry books in this bookstore in Venice. The guy who runs the the store, Emmett, like, you know, he he grew really fond of me because the, the books are like super cheap, by the way. Like most of them are are like 40% off the cover price. Um, and it's great to support like a local store. Uh, Beyond Baroque, that's the name of the the building that it's in. But the bookstore has its own name. Uh, like it was named after a poet because uh, mm -hmm. it's just a weird story involving Vigo Mortensen. But anyway... <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, he found these Ron Paget poetry books and he just sold them to me for like six, seven dollars. Nice. You know, and these were like first printings, you know, it was amazing, you know. Um, so yeah, Ron Paget definitely held, holds a special place to me now. And it's also like been a gateway to me for like, uh, poets that he's translated because he's also, he can translate a lot of French poetry. So, um, yeah. And another crazy thing, too, is I actually, you know, because Patterson, New Jersey is not that far from New York City. Um, so I made a pilgrimage and I made actually several pilgrimages Ooh, to, nice. to Patterson, New Jersey. Yeah. And I took photos and I visited some of the locations from the movie. Um, yeah. Some of them aren't actually located in Patterson. Like the bar is not in Patterson. It's actually in Queens. Oh, uh, so it was closer to where I lived. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, most of the places, obviously the, the falls, the waterfalls are incredible um, to see. Um, and uh, that, that statue of um, uh, uh, Oliver Hardy from Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. Not, is it Laurel and Hardy or am I? Abbott and Costello. Sorry, I'm blank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that statue, I walk past it because it, it's a, a fairly walkable neighborhood. Yeah. And um. Some and yeah, I even saw the bus that that <gasps> goes that route that oh, <laughs> that Adam Driver's character drives. Yeah, because it's the main bus that goes along Main Street. Uh, the um, bus was it bus twenty three? Yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, um. So yeah, it was great to see all these these places. But also, Jim Jarmusch has been open about because they were like, yeah, some people I guess who are from Patterson were saying like Patterson is nothing like the what you portray in the movie. And he was like, yeah, it's kind of like a fairy tale. You know, yeah. it takes place in kind of a magical version of Patterson. Because one of the things that it doesn't really show, I think, in the movie is that the language I heard mostly in Patterson was Spanish. Like, it, there's a very heavy uh, Hispanic population in Patterson. Um, and also, it, it like, especially Main Street, it's pretty grimy. Like, there's a lot of poverty and crime in Patterson, too, which which uh, the movie doesn't really show except for, you know, um, hinting at at these things. Because, yeah, it is really like a, a place in in um, yeah in Jim Jarmusch's mind and maybe even, yeah, what Patterson was to... Um, we haven't even mentioned um, where the title and, of, uh, and the idea, I guess, comes from is this epic book-length poem that uh, William Carlos Williams wrote called Patterson. And it's in a six six parts and i also have that the i i haven't finished it but it's an incredible poem like i mean it, it it's even hard to 
to just say that it's it's a pure poem because it, it has like historical aspects of it anecdotes like he, he just threw everything in there it was one of those i i mean i love that poets have this thing where they've been working on this project like their entire lives like similar to um um uh, william wordsworth you know he wrote the prelude when he was in his 20s and you know he finished it when he died <laughs> basically and that's what patterson was for for william carlos williams like he started writing it i think in the 50s uh no i may be wrong but uh yeah he started he started when he was younger and yeah it basically was uh yeah it was finished when he died wow <laughs> that's when the, the work finished but yeah i highly recommend it then yeah ron paget's books too are amazing you know if, if people want to seek out poetry and i mean i i would even say this movie should inspire people it inspired me to write poetry you know i i wrote some some like patterson like poems too so. good it was great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very inspirational, and I'm happy that it it made an impact on you. Um, my 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 last two notes. I was looking over my notes, and we'll just bang these out real quick. One, um, there's actually a Patterson, California, with so it's P A T T E R S O N, and the reason why I know of Patterson, California, <laughs> is because we have family that used to that. It's it's a long I five. It's kind of in the in the Central Valley area, and uh, we have family okay. that at one point owned a house there in the two thousands, and it and it became just like a mecca for like me and Jr to drive up. We would meet the cousins halfway, and like watch like Pacquiao fights and just like just it was it, wow. I wouldn't call it a party house. That it wasn't the Patterson party house, but it but it, it was just like a celebratory vibe there. So, um, and, oh, nice. and, 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 and very much like Patterson, New Jersey, very much like a working class kind of town, you know, it was kind of mm. like a new, new residences set, set up for agriculture. And I think for like the warehousing in there. Gotcha. Area. Did they have like any tourist attractions or anything? No, like that? I mean, it, it's kind of a truck stop, <laughs> honestly, but, but, okay, gotcha. but, but with like a nice n- neighborhood nearby. And so they, they bought a house cause, mm. cause it was fun. Um, and then the, the last thing, and this was, <laughs> this is actually an insight from Malika. Um, so there's a scene where Patterson's going for a walk and he notices he, he hears someone rapping and, uh, yes. so, so this has a connection to snake in the Eagle's shadow in that it's method man. From uh, you know you know you know obviously from from the uh, the Wu Tang clan Wu-Tang. and and so instinctively I go oh hey it's Method Man and Malika yeah. <laughs> looks at me and she says you know I think that's your favorite thing to do when you're watching any kind of media <laughs> is point out when Method Man is in it and I and I I laughed. <laughs> So hard because it's so true. Mm-hmm. Anytime Method Man is in anything, you know, The Wire, any kind of pop-up TV show, movie, the first thing <laughs> I, I, I like, I can't control myself. I have to go, oh, hey, that's Method Man. I have to like say it out loud to let people know it, like whether it's obnoxious or not. Um, so, anyways, that's oh, just oh man, that's just a little <laughs> private insight into my that's psyche. Funny. It's like if I if I see Method Man, well. Uh, Everyone will know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure if he was uh, just relating to that too. There was this uh, Korean movie called Volcano High, mm-hmm. and like MTV did the dub with like a bunch of rappers doing their voices, oh. 
And I think Method Man was one of the voices for one of the characters. I'm not positive though, but yeah, you should check it out. Like I Volcano could pick it out. Was, it was decent. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah. Pick it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg was definitely one of the voices for sure. Uh, I remember that, but I can't remember. Nice. Yeah. I'm not positive if, if Method Man was, but yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you point him out whenever <laughs> yeah. he shows up. Huh? I just can't help yeah, and it. He's, he's credited in the movie as Cliff Smith, by the way. His actual oh, his name is Clifford name, yeah. Smith. Clifford. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Cliff Smith. He's using, yeah, he's not using his rap name. So going back to the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned, so you told us like your lead up to, to it. And then you said that there was like something you got after it. Like, have you already mentioned that or? Um, yeah, it was just basically going back to Patterson, uh, going to Patterson going and to Patterson. discovering it. Cause I, yeah, yeah. Even just the journey getting there, you have to take three different trains to get to Patterson. So it's it's not, not an easy trip. Like you have to really plan it out, you know, you cuz also you have to align the trains. So it, it's really out of the way to go there. It's not it's not some it's not also a place where you'd see a lot of tourists. Like I I I definitely felt like walking around there even though you know I'm a brown skinned dude like people probably noticed especially I had a camera around my neck that like, you know, this guy is not from here. Yeah. You know. Um but yeah, it was just um, it was just like an extension of that experience of the movie, and I don't even know any movie that's had that effect on me where I was just like, man, I, I should go to these places. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes I I probably there there's certain locations in L.A. where I know like a movie was shot there, and I'm like, oh, you know, that that puts a smile to my face every time I drive past it. I mean, one that I would mention because today there was this news that was announced, so it's kind of pertinent. Uh, that Michael Mann is doing a sequel to Heat, <laughs> but it's uh, it's going to be a novel. Yeah, it's going to be called Heat 2, and he's <laughs> co-writing it with another writer. But I'm I'm excited. It's coming out in August, and I, I definitely want to read that book. Um, but, you know, the, the main heist uh, that happens in Heat, you know, it, it takes place on um, on 5th Street in downtown, uh-huh. and it's, it's basically by where... Um, my favorite building in in LA is uh, the Hotel Bonaventure, and you know it's by where the the old Bunker Hill neighborhood used to be, um, and yeah. So every time I drive that, because Fifth Street basically leads into um, uh, like uh, the the one ten, you know, it's an on ramp. Like that's where it ends. It ends on an on ramp to the one ten. So you know, you you if you're you're exiting downtown, that's one of the ways out. So I every time I pass by that that street and then I see the bank building is is not a bank there it's just like a, a regular skyscraper now, um, but uh, yeah every time I drive past that area I'm like man yeah this was where the shootout was in heat, you know, <laughs> but that's the closest that I have to it. But you know Patterson was just like man I'm in the city. Uh, the only one thing though that there was one location I couldn't go to. Um, because it was like uh, being renovated, so I was sad uh-huh. about it. The bench where you you can see the waterfall and you know that's where yeah. that scene is where he he hangs out and he has his lunch and you know it's also where he meets the japanese guy and who happens to be reading a japanese translation of patterson yeah i couldn't go to that bench because uh yeah they had like dug it up like i guess they were just fixing it up so um yeah and by the time i think they reopened i'd already left new york okay so um, i missed it but it was it was funny because i even went there's like a tourist office there 
And I was like, yeah, you guys know the movie Patterson? And some of them had never heard of it. Wow. You know, I was like, you know, this is a missed opportunity. You guys should just like highlight these locations that were in the movie, you know, and people could go see it. But it's like, they're like, you're the first guy to come in here and That's ask so about this. Funny. Like nobody else comes to Patterson to like ask about the movie and the locations. If you end up going back, if subsequently they're like, you know what? A lot of people have come and we've now added, you can go to the, to. Yeah to see the house you you can like rock the mailbox <laughs> you know oh, oh yeah i was i was looking for that house too like where is that house because you know it's a pink house you know um but obviously the the residential area is is pretty dense um so it was just hard to find it um so i, I don't even know if it exists or they just made it for the movie but uh, i was trying to plot it out because you know it's like his walk is actually geographically accurate. The, okay. the walk that he takes to the bus depot mm-hmm. from the house. Because I, I, I took the walk, but like I couldn't find where that curve was when you exit that kind of pathway from the waterfalls. Yeah. I was like, oh, where is that? You know, it's just like, you know, that was, there were a couple of missing gaps. It was that. And then also um, there's another location, which I think might be close to where the bench was, where they were doing the renovation, where he walks past it. He like goes down some stairs and... um it leads to kind of like an alcove where you get to see the waterfalls up close. Like I couldn't find where that location was either, you know, but uh, other than that, yeah, all the other locations like the bus depot, it's there, um, you know, main streets there. Um, uh, what were some of the other locations I'm trying to remember? Um, uh, I didn't see the laundromat either. The place where he sits and talks to the girl who's doing, who who's, writing a poem oh yeah 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 that that the little industrial area yeah i i like that bit too that was a really nice scene uh with the girl and um she also happened to have a twin and that poem that she recites is actually not by ron paget that's actually written by jim jarmusch right just another interesting <laughs> tidbit pretty good yeah that's so that was his poem because right. one time yeah jim jarmusch actually as- aspired to be a poet and then you know he discovered film yeah. and ended up going the other direction so yeah yeah well I'm, I'm happy he made patterson it's an enjoyable film yeah 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 right. i'm i'm it's just too bad that the yeah you were expecting that thing to happen yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah hopefully like you know you don't have to watch it again right away like give it some time and you know it's a movie that i think will stay with you and it's you know when you're ready watch it again now no it's definitely a movie I'm I'm ha- like I'm happy I saw. You know, it's like like it's not one of those films films that's like oh that was a waste of time. Like like it was definitely enjoyable. The ideas I really like and the pacing, and um, you know, yeah, it was fun. I think we should definitely do this again. What where we'll just like keep just knocking off films. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. It's just like we can, yeah, this could just be an ongoing thing because I mean, I have a lot of favorite films. It's not yeah. just one favorite film. Yeah, I mean, well, we could even just go on a Jim Jarmusch. Uh, sure. Well, binge I mean, if you're you're interested in that, yeah. yeah. I mean, even in this in this pod, you, you mentioned cleaners. I wrote that down. And then heat is a heat is another one that I have not seen. So that oh one, my that, god, that might be <laughs> heat might be a good one to kind of like cover, you know, and like where it's like yeah, you know, like I'll watch it with fresh eyes. You you do a rewatch and 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 we'll we'll talk sure. about it. Yeah, I'd love that. I mean, you know, Michael Mann is another one of my favorite filmmakers. Like I'll watch anything he's doing. He's actually working on um on Enzo Ferrari 
biopic right now so i'm excited Ooh. for that okay cool um yeah and the thing is people always go to heat as like michael mann's masterpiece like this yeah. is the movie it's not even my favorite michael mann movie but it's great like you know that's just the thing it's like it's it it's definitely top tier Michael Mann, I would say, you know, and just, yeah, we can talk about the, you know, how huge it was, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, like it's one of those, mo- it's it's one of those movies. I don't know how I missed it. It was definitely came out in, at a time when I was watching movies. So I'm curious to kind of look into it and see like, what did I watch instead? So I'll have to like find out the, re- the release date. And then I'll I'll look what other movies opened and like in like it'll it'll probably be something like really like Adam's Family or something, but you know we'll figure right. it out. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, your friend who who watched all of the nineteen ninety five films, he he had to see Heat because right. yeah. that was the yeah. movie of ninety five. Totally. So. <laughs> oh yeah, cool. Well, yeah, yeah, I'll get his 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 uh synopses of it too. Um, cool. All right, we did it. All right, man. Yeah, we did it. Another ep in Amazing. the books. Is there any, yeah, like, do we have, like, a closing, any, like, business? I guess w- we can just plug at the end. Follow us, Twitter, Movie uh, movie Food Pod. And uh, yes, follow uh, a- follow Carlo's Letterbox. <laughs> yeah, um, Astrofish with a C. So A-S-T-R-O-F-I-S-C-H. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I have trouble yeah. spelling it out. But, yeah, that's my... I write reviews on occasion, but yeah, it's really just kind of a throwaway thing for me. It's not something I really take that seriously, but you know, uh, comments are open. Uh, if you have any, if you disagree with me or yeah, feel free to DM us or we haven't really been tweeting actively yet on movie food pod, but yeah, we'll definitely put out the, the top five of, of 2021 for yeah. sure. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right. Until next okay, time, man. Sounds All good. right. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.